Love in Paradise is Dr. Joel Hunter's sermon series, and the second message is entitled, Not God Alone. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter has chosen the second chapter of Genesis, verses 18 through 25 as his scripture text, and it reads as follows. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. And now let's join in for praise and worship, followed by Dr. Joel Hunter's message, Not God Alone. Like smog clouding the horizon, like sand through the egg timer, like that annoying thing flashing 12 o'clock on your VCR. So flash the days of our lives. he feels inside. He has since discovered that his father's fourth wife, a woman Eric cannot stand, is actually his biological mother. But that's not important now. We find Eric today at his church, seeking a way to fill the void where his inner child once was. Well, Lord, here I am. 1994, the beginning of a new year. Classes are being formed. Retreats are being organized. Lead me, Lord, in the way that I should go. Hello, brother. Welcome to class registration. Hi, I'm Eric Zwei Kidneys. It's German. It means two good kidneys. I'm Bob. Bob, I'd like to start this new year off by taking a class that will get me even closer to the Lord. How about your class? Oh, that would be great. If you'd like to sign up for parenting teenagers, sign right here. Well, um... Do you have any children? None that I know of. I beg your pardon? Oh, that's a little joke. I have quite a sense of humor. Perhaps you would be interested... As a matter of fact, I think I am. In Jessica's class. Well, I 
might be a little more interested in your area of ministry. Oh. I'm Eric Zweikidneys. Oh. It's German. It means two good kidneys. Oh. And you are? Tiffany. Where do I sign up? Oh. <laughs> right here for Children's Church. Can you do puppetry? Perhaps I should check out Jessica's class first before I make a commitment. Oh. Jessica! I'm interested in finding out more about your class. It was recently recommended to me. Well, I'm terribly sorry, but I'm rather busy right now. In fact, you might actually have to walk all the way over here. <laughs> and find out all about it by yourself. <sighs> Silent retreat. Get away from the distractions that keep you from deepening your personal relationship with Christ. Retreat with us in silence, alone with your God. That sounds perfect. Just what I need, right, Lord? Uh, look, Mr. Uh... Eric Spikidneys. It's German. Eric. It... I, I don't want to be rude. It's just that if you want to go ahead and sign up for the class, you should go ahead and do it, because the space is running out. Whoa, look, there it goes. Somebody stop the space. <laughs> Perhaps you should tell me the nature of this class. It's insights into human behavior. Oh, I don't think so, honey. That's not quite what I'm looking for. Obviously. Perhaps you should uh, try something more simple, like uh, acting like a human being. Excuse me? Gladly. Could you tell me a bit more about this silent retreat? That table is empty right now, and oh. I'd really like to sign up. It looks heavenly. Oh, Jessica is also in charge of organizing that. <clears throat> Silent retreat? Are you trying to hide from something? No. Trying to find the Lord's leading in my life. Oh. As if that's any of your business. Oh. <laughs> Look, you really need to lighten up. Oh. Do your friends act like this? Friends? Oh, <sighs> oh well. Class registration time is over. Hey, let's go get some pizza. Do you want to join us, Eric? Well, uh... I'm in. Yes, I think I will. Jessica? No. I can't. I have to be at the hospital in 15 minutes. What for, Jessica? My right kidney is failing. <laughs> Will Eric decide on a class at church? Will Tiffany return his calls? 
Will Susan find her way out of the Peruvian village her kidnappers have left her in? Who is this Susan, anyway? Join us next week for another timely episode as we experience the days of our lives. So you're asking yourself, what biblical principle could that possibly illustrate? (laughs) Well, I'm glad you're asking yourself that question because it gives you the opportunity to turn to the second chapter of Genesis. If you are taking notes, by the way, um, if you have your note page and your handy-dandy Northland uh, sermon notebook, get it ready because I've got a couple of words that uh, will profit you. Let me give you the setting again. We're spending this year talking about why God has made us for relationships. And we're spending the first part of the year establishing the theological and philosophical basis for why God has made us for relationships because we know that maturity means not only knowing what to do in relationships, but knowing why you are doing what you are doing in relationships. Now, last last week, we talked about God structuring us for relationships because of his ontology. That word is in the little fine print there. Ontology means being or the nature of who he is. We said that God, according to this 80-year Arian controversy, according to the orthodox faith established in the creeds and their interpretation of the scripture, God is both singular and plural at the same time. And therefore, a God who made us in his image to reflect who he is in his being, because he is structurally, being-wise, relatedness, He would structure us for relatedness, to be as he is. Now this week, we're going to go from ontology to epistemology. Let me spell that for you. E-P-I-S-T-E-M-O-L-O-G-Y. Epistemology. Epistemology is the study of knowledge. It's how we know things. It's how we come to understand things. And so therefore, this week, let us establish this. That God not only wants us to be related so that we can be a reflection of who he is, but God has established for us being related so that we can come to know him through our relatedness to other things and other people. Now, how do we know that? Well, turn to the second chapter of Genesis. Remember, as we pick up the story from last week, Adam is in the garden. He's got everything he needs. He's got his work. He can accomplish things. He's got his intellect. He can learn things. He's got his uh, goodness. He's got his moral orders. He can be good. He's got a direct relationship with God. He's got everything he needs. But God looks at it and says, it is not good. God adds something other than that direct relationship. Verse 18. 
Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now you would think that he'd just go ahead and do it, wouldn't you? But again, God begins to establish this roundabout route, as well as having a direct relationship with Adam. He begins to establish this roundabout route that he also wants Adam to travel to him. He begins by creating things that Adam needs to observe. And out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Now, those of you who heard me preach on this before, you will remember this fact. That in Scripture, naming something not only delineates having power or authority over it, it also indicates that you have observed that thing long enough to know its nature. In other words, this was not an easy afternoon for Adam where he said, hmm, looks like an aardvark, call it an aardvark, and go through the alphabet. No, this was the first recorded scientific observation. Adam had to look at those animals for a long enough time to come to know their nature in order to name them. And so we have here recorded the first scientific observation and categorization of creation that God made. No easy task, no brief task in my estimation. And then it says in verse 20, The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field, but... You see, the first of the route is through general observation of creation. But Adam has something that he's searching for, something that God's planted inside, something that he needs that will not be filled with general creation. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. I know this is not popular with modern-day feminism, but this is what it says. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We have here established three general categories. One, to observable creation that does not have a lot in common with Adam other than its material, and God made it like he made Adam. Secondly, there is a need for a helper suitable. That is someone who corresponds to Adam. That's what that Hebrew word helper means. The corresponding one. One who can answer. And so he needs other people. And the third is the very intimate one to whom he will be united forever, that they become one flesh and so fulfill the nature of God that he is both singular and plural at once. Now, let's talk about this fact that God has made us to come to know him indirectly as well as directly. First of all, let's talk about the complications of that. Why would God do that? God knows the mistakes we make. 
God knows how we tend to have immature theology before we have mature theology, how we develop as children. You remember developing as a child, I suspect, and having some, some, you know, misunderstandings about who God really was, getting him confused with Santa Claus or, or, uh, I, I had a, a, a book once sent to me by somebody called Dear Pastor. It was, it was, uh, letters from children, uh, to their pastor about God. And it was interesting, the theology in these things. Uh, one of them said, Dear Pastor, how does God know the good people from the bad people? Do you tell him or does he have to read it himself in the newspapers? Yeah. Just, you know, couldn't quite make the jump. Uh, and then there was a little bit more theological sophistication. Sounds like a lot of us. You know, Dear Pastor, I know God loves me, but if he gave me an A on my report card, I could be sure. Then there is the the complication that comes not only with the non-transferable theology, the non-transferable concepts that give us only a, a vague picture of who he is, but also the interpretations of the scripture he's given us. That we have to take a direct, uh, an indirect route and deal with our humanness and deal with other people and deal with our perceptions and try to read scripture from that can make for some miscommunication. Another book, uh, Dick Van Dyke's Faith, Hope, and Hilarity, was about uh, kids' impressions of God. And, and uh, this uh, one talked about how we tend to have parochial theology because of just how we're wired. And, and it was about a Sunday school teacher who was asking her class, okay, who is the first man? And this little kid shot up his hand in his fourth grade class. said, George Washington. And uh, the Sunday school teacher said, no, it was, it was Adam. And the kid goes, well... Sure, if you want to include foreigners, you know. <laughs> but there's this complication in, in our forming of theology. We can get very parochial because we can't quite make the jump. There was another one that I really loved. It was about it was the teacher had taught him about uh, uh, Lazarus and, and uh, being in the tomb. And, and uh, so she was reviewing the lesson and, and uh, she said, So what do you think Jesus said? to the dead man in the tomb. And this one kid who had obviously watched way too many cop shows on TV said, stood up and he said, All right, Lazarus, we know you're in there. Come out with your hands up. Bad theology. Bad theology. Bad interpretation. Some of them can be a little bit better than others. There was one more. I'll just do one more. I love these kids. But there was you know, a mother who had a... Who had a life-threatening day almost as far as her sanity goes with her three children, you know. And she was just at the end of a rope. And, uh, and her, her kids, you know, spotted theology um, as sometimes our kids are uh, well-to-do. And, and he just looked at her and said, Man, you think you've got troubles. You've got three kids. Now think of this. God's got children all over the world. Now that's trouble. <laughs> that's pretty good theology, I think. That's a little bit more accurate. But the point is that there were mistakes made because God chose to go another route than constantly and daily giving us direct revelation of himself. There were mistakes made, and God knew that there would be. He says in Psalm 50, verse 21, Because I kept silent, you thought I was just like you. But you were wrong. It says that. So God recognizes the mistakes that we'll make. God recognizes the 
painful complications of trying to build a theology from ruined relationships. He understands that some of you who have had very poor relationships with your fathers find it very difficult even to hear the word God the Father. And none, you know, let alone try to make that connection when you associate that with so much pain. God knew that the most effective rebuttals against the theology of Christianity would come from that small group of philosophers who chose to say there is no God. God is simply a projection of who you wish was up there because you had inadequate relationships on your own. Again, if you're taking notes, the philosopher who made the most effective rebuttal against Christianity was a man by the name of Ludwig Feuerbach. F-E-U-E-B-A-C-H. Ludwig Feuerbach had a tremendous influence on, on Marx, on Nietzsche. And that was his argument. There is no God up there. It's simply a projection of who you wish was up there. Why, with all of that danger and all of that risk, did God choose to say, I want you to know me indirectly as well as directly? Well, I believe that there are a few good reasons and one very good challenge. And the one very good reason and very good challenge that is the mission of this church is because that's how God chooses to bring us to maturity. Because in order to come to know God by an indirect route, there's a lot of work involved. In order to, to know Him, we need to face painful, irritating, frustrating relationships, both with the creation and with people. That's why Eric's idea of a silent retreat is just that. It's a retreat. It's a way out. Now, that's not to say that a prayer life and that some degree of a mystical relationship is not a way God makes himself known. Of course it is. But facing the frustration of a very irritating woman who happens to be teaching insights into human behavior may also be required. Why? Because God chooses to be known through his creation as well as directly. It began that in, in Genesis 2.19 when he made all of the animals. You can see that reaffirmed in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. I don't think I have that in your notes either. You can write that down. But Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says this. It says, Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. In other words, God said, I want you to look at the world closely enough, I want you to look at your relationships closely enough that you can see me, that you can come to know me. Now, that's not something very many people want to work through because it's a lot of work and a lot of pain. People just like to hear the old simple gospel. I got a letter this week. I, I get several letters per week. I got a letter this week, somebody just really admonishing me, boy, taking me to the woodshed. God never doesn't know me, had never been to church here, but just heard about us. 
And one of the things that he really came down hard on is directly relevant to this message. He said, I hear you make things so deep and so complicated there that people can hardly understand it. He says what we need is a simple gospel. Just tell it. Simple. That's all we need. Let me tell you what's true about what he said. There is a simple truth that none of you should miss. And that is the way to salvation. The simple truth is this. That God invites you to live with him on this earth and after your life on this earth through the sacrifice of his son. He gives that to you as a matter of grace. Unmerited favor. It's something that you just receive through faith. It's nothing you have to learn. It's nothing you have to um, work for. It's something you simply say, God, I understand that I did not deserve to go to heaven. I accept the atonement for my sins, the payment for my sins that Jesus wrought across for me. And I understand that by your favor, I am forgiven. Thank you. Very simple. And that's all you need to do to be saved. That's all you can do to be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and 10 can take you through that whole thing. We are saved by grace, unmerited favor, through faith. And that, not of ourselves, not by our own doing, it is a gift, lest any man should boast. It's simply a gift. And if you haven't accepted that yet, I'm going to give you a chance before you get out of here, because it's a gift. It's that simple. So that's what was true about what he said. Don't ever miss that point. I'll try never to stop saying that point. However, there are a lot of years between here and when we die. And there are a lot of ways we can come to know God. And every way we come to know God, we can praise Him for. And so you've got to determine in your hearts, if you just want to hear the same thing over and over again, and praise Him in one or two or three ways, or you want to learn a thousand ways to recognize Him and praise Him. If you want to learn a thousand ways, then you've got to get out of theological kindergarten. And you've got to keep coming to a teaching or having relationships or learn how in the world to recognize God when He's in direct evidence in the circumstances that you're in. Paul said that when he was writing the... 13th chapter of Corinthians. He said, you know, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. God understands that. But he said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. There is more than simplicity. When you look at God's creation, it is tremendously complex and complicated. But it's all the more ways you can praise God and recognize Him. You've got to decide if you want to work like that. Or you want to just stay where you are on the elemental things. In Hebrews, let me, let me just say this. Hebrews, turn to chapter 6 if you have your scriptures with you. Let me show you this. There is an ad- admonition by the writer of Hebrews. First of all, he's pretty frustrated with people who say they've been Christian for a number of years and they haven't grown. And it says in Hebrews 5.12, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. That's disgusting to him. And he says so in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, 
Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the, about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. There's that word again. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Let me ask you this. Did you ever get fed up because every time you went to church you heard the same thing? Do you get fed up for yourself, with yourself because every time you go to church you're repenting for the same thing? And you say, man, I'm never going to make any progress. I just keep doing this. You know that there are a hundred ways God wants to become evident to you besides that one thing you struggle with. I'm not saying don't struggle with it. I'm saying keep loving God and He'll overpower it. He'll give you victory. But don't let that thing suck your entire life dry. It's not worth it. There's more to this life than just the simple gospel. It's a wonderful thing to be saved, but there's this sanctifying process where you learn to recognize God everywhere. And there are certain capacities, theological capacities, that God will build in our lives because we have gone to the work of coming to know His creation. Because we have come, gone to the work of coming to deal with His people. As frustrated and as complicating as that is, that's what God wants. You know, God has said very clearly in 1 John 4.20, those who say they love me and don't love their brothers are lying. How can you love me, who you have not seen, if you can't love your brother, who you have seen? That is a profound theological gauntlet. It lays it down before you says, don't be coming to me in these silent retreats and escaping from your responsibilities to go through what is required of loving people. I know it's a lot of work. But that's how you get to know me. That's how you carve out in your life what's required for your relationship with me. I got another letter this week. It was complaining about two people who go to here to church. Now again, this guy doesn't know me. I don't know this guy. And before you get all paranoid, <laughs> I said this on Saturday night, and I had a half a dozen people who came up to me. That's me, wasn't it? They were kind of, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, the two people already know who they are. <laughs> I'd be doing the same thing. Oh, I know it's me. I know it is. <laughs> but this letter went on about how these people were bringing down the kingdom of God because they did this and it was, they were horrible and so on and so forth. Well, there's a problem here. And the problem is, I know these two people. I don't know the guy who sent me the letter, but I know these two people. I've been with them. I've been with them with their families. I've watched their ministries over the years. I know them. And I know the people he's writing about in this letter don't even come close to the people I know, and I know I know them better than he does. Now, that letter has absolutely no credibility with me. You know why? Because I know these people well enough to know of their long-term effect for the kingdom of God. I've seen it. I know their hearts. I know the intentions of their hearts. I'm not saying they have never made a mistake or they have never done anything that would bring reproach upon the kingdom of God. But when somebody says these people are, you know, an anathema to the church, I'm saying they're a liar. Because I know these people. Now, as soon as I get done with a matter like that, God comes to me and says, Hunter, that's how I want all of my people to know me. That's how I want all of my people to know me. I want them to have 
the loyalty of love, the patience of love, the kindness of love that comes in working through those relationships with the people I've given them. So when it comes to having a relationship with me, those categories have been scooped out in their lives. So that when somebody like this Feuerbach character comes to you and says, eh, God's just a projection, you'll be able to look at him just like you looked at the writer of this letter and not even waver for a second and say, uh, pardon me, I know the one you're talking to or talking about. And that doesn't even strike a note in me because I have a relationship. You understand? That's why God wants us to go through the work of having a relationship with His kingdom so that we can come to know Him well enough by our relationship. Theology is not just cognitive. Theology is experiential. Theology is a matter of the heart as well as the mind. And so therefore, God makes it a matter of relationship as well as a matter of information. That's what God wants us to know. Listen to St. Francis de Say. He wrote this. We learn about work by working. We learn about running by running. We learn about studying by studying. And then he said this. We learn about love by loving. But he didn't stop there. He said we learn about loving God by serving and to an apprenticeship with people. I like that. It's exactly right. We learn about loving God by serving an apprenticeship with people. And you know the wonderful thing about this whole matter is that God has intended to become known in our relationships and not only intended to become known, but intended to become known for His perfecting of our efforts as we get in relationship with His creation. Of our love. When we don't think we can love, God comes down and loves through us. And God comes down and perfects His love in us. That's one of the most marvelous verses of all the New Testament. That God would choose to perfect His love in us. Not only to us, but in our relationships. Let me tell you a story. I love this story. It's a true story. It's about Sir Henry Von... Get, get this name... Sir Henry von Herkimer, believe it or not. He started an art school in Europe. Um, he, was a, he was a sculptor, and a wonderful artist, and started an art school in Europe in 1883. And as all of those students flooded into his school, um, it was a wonderful uh, uh, training ground. But the part of the story that I dearly love is that his father, who was also a sculptor, was failing in health, and he begged his father to come and live with him, to come and live at his school. And so his father came, and, uh, and his father still had a great love for the art, although he was losing his capacities. And he would ask um, his son for clay, and he'd go into the table every day and try to mold that clay and his eyesight was failing and his dexterity was failing and his sense of perception was failing and, and he'd, he'd get done at the end of the day and look at that, what he had worked on. He was so discouraged and so disappointed that he'd get up and he'd go to bed just very, very disappointed. But when he went to bed, every day his son would go in and through very subtle means perfect what his father had done that day. 
And when his father got up from his rest, he would go in and sit down and look at what he had done the day before and say to himself, well, that's not as bad as I thought it was. Maybe I'm doing better than I thought. And have the encouragement to go on. Can I say to you, that's exactly what God does in our relationships. When we put forth the effort, He perfects them in ways that are outside our control, that are outside our inadequacies. We had a, on Saturday night, we, we have the message and then we eat together afterwards and then we have a discussion on the, on the sermon. And, and last night, uh, uh, we were having a discussion on how people influence our relationship with God. And, and it was interesting, uh, let me tell you this first, it was interesting that while people had both negative and positive stories about how People had, been an ex- uh, people had been an example or the wrong example for who God was. It was interesting that in that room full, everybody was saved in, that, in this particular room, in that room full of Christians, God had sent the Holy Spirit as an independent evaluator for all of them to let them know, no, this isn't me, or yes, this is me. No, that isn't a quality I have. Yes, this is a quality I have. So it didn't matter whether the relationships were bad or good as long as the Holy Spirit was there. He could teach truth out of any of it. Now, but this one mother, who's a single mother, and, you know, being raised by a single mother, I know this, I know this feeling. There's just tremendous uh, sense of, I'm not adequate for this, you know. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I lose my temper. I'm the only one my kids have to look to. I'm going to mess them up. She was so afraid. Uh, that she was going to mess him up. But there were a couple other people in there who said, you know, God does this thing. And then the story about God perfecting what she was doing just was such tremendous encouragement to her. Let it be to you too. I know you feel like a failure and inadequate in most of your relationships, but when you're asleep, God comes in and touches things up. Know that People see the intentions of your heart. They see who you love, not just how you do. They see who you love. And that's what they learn from. That's the part that sticks with them. That's the theology that God builds into other people through you. Be encouraged with that, please. Now, that's enough. Let me me pray with you. Let me just pray with you. God, thank you for the tremendous challenge of learning about you indirectly as well as directly, of learning from you indirectly as well as directly. Thank you that you have seen fit to build a world in which we can uh, put forth the effort to love as you loved and be blessed by the knowledge of who you are through that. God, I, I don't want to leave this service without giving people here a chance who may not have made that first-time commitment, who may not have understood before today how simple, though not easy, the matter really is. That they can simply accept the gift of salvation as your spirit prompts them to do so. And that because you first loved them, they can love you back. God, 
If there's anyone in here today who has not accepted the gift of salvation, let them pray this prayer. God, I acknowledge I'm a sinner and I don't deserve heaven. There's nothing I can do to earn it. But I also believe with all my heart that when Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world, he paid for mine. And I thank you and I accept that forgiveness today in your gift of salvation. And I invite you into my heart to live there and to become Lord of my life. And for those of us who have prayed that prayer, God, take us on to maturity. Take us on to the work of relationships that is both wonderful and awful, both fulfilling and frustrating. But every step of the way, teach us to ask this question. How can I see God in this? What can I learn of God in this? And finally, teach us to be able to say this. God, I see you. God, I know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God gives us the gift of creation to observe objectively. God gives us people to have fellowship with. But to some who are fortunate, and I would pray this for you all, there is a special friend who reminds us of the Lord and brings us closer to him. Seems like you know when I need you Seems like he knows who to send You never come as a prophet just an open-hearted friend Faithfully wounding my pride Bringing me back to his side Sharing the word that you hide in your heart You are a true friend Pointing me to him Lifting my down to the skies proving your love again you are a true friend I know the Father is with me but I just can't feel him here and I want to know how to love him and I see you standing near, bringing him closer and clear. That's why he put us both here. My heart climbs higher from hearing you say, You are a true friend, pointing me to him, lifting my down. Lifting my downcast eyes, turning.
there are some folks here who need to, perhaps after hearing today's message, reconcile with someone, to love them the way that God wants them loved through you. I want to close with these words from the beloved disciple, the Apostle John. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent His only begotten Son to the world so that we might love through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to pay the price for our sins. Go and love as He empowers you. The service is ended.